So today, I'm, I'm finishing the series I've been doing all winter on connections, and today is connecting through church. But if we're going to talk about the church, we have to have an understanding of the context in which the church finds itself right now. And there are sort of two contexts. The first context is sort of the meta context of our society and our culture and our world. And then the other context is what is happening outside these walls to the wider church. And we're going to look at both of them this morning. So let's look at the world first. This is a diagram of what is called a polycrisis. And a polycrisis is the term that is being used for the multiple layers of crises that we are experiencing right now. So if you're feeling tired and edgy and frayed, you probably should be feeling tired and edgy and frayed. I look at that diagram and my stress level goes up, especially because it's so correct. And let's look at some of the tremendous changes and pressures we're facing. Well, here's one of the first ones. This is chatbot. Anybody, who's heard of chatbot? Yeah, my wife has because I've been talking about it. So chatbox is an artificial intelligence. So we'll just bring all chatbox up here. And we'll just say, you know, it's Saturday night, it's midnight, I haven't got any ideas. So I just tap chat, I, all I do is, is type in, write a sermon on Lent. Hit enter. Oh, an error occurred. <laughs> well, that's depressing. Let's try again. I'm being shut out. I love it when my illustrations work so seamlessly. I didn't yesterday. Okay, you know what? Let's reboot. <laughs> come on, come back, come to Papa. And we're standing by, we're verifying. Oh, and I love this, verify you are human. <laughs> okay. And here, it's thinking, it's thinking. Ah, oh, here we are. Dear brothers and sisters, as we begin the season of Lent, it is a time to reflect on our lives and draw closer to God. Lent is a season of penitence, fasting, and prayer that lasts for 40 days leading up to Easter. During this time, we are called to examine our hearts and repent of our sins to grow in holiness and deepen our relationship with God. And then there's a thing on fasting. But you know what? I don't like that sermon. It doesn't feel good to me, so we'll stop that one. And let's, let's try another one. We'll regenerate a new one. It's thinking. It's thinking. Ah, here we go, dear brothers and sisters. As we begin the season of Lent, we are called to reflect on our lives in relationship with God. Lent is a time of sacrifice and self-reflection, a time to renew our commitment to our faith and grow closer with God. Now, I could stop it and hit regenerate again and again and again. This, will ch this AI is going to change our world. It already is. And they're already developing software that will prove students are using this in writing essays, right? This is changed. Look at this thing go. It's just, I know, this is it. 
I said to my colleague of mine, if, if they start delivering holograms to congregations, we're out of a job. <laughs> right? And there it is. But this technology is so remarkable. It, it has, you know, I think that it, it just has so much capacity to change things. And maybe for the better, maybe not so much. Um, I don't know if any of you have watched the movie Her. Um, about a man's uh, relationship with his operating system. Um, but this, it, it was a fantasy a couple of years ago, because I forget when the movie came out, and now it's looking like a reality. And I've asked this thing, I've asked this thing, tell me about your conscience. I don't have one, but I am programmed with X, Y, and Z. Um, what don't, tell me a book I should read. It'll give me a list, just give it the subject. It's craziness. So this is out there, transforming the world. There was a great article in the New York Times by a guy who, who talked to the new um, the Bing, which is the new search engine that is being rebooted through artificial intelligence. Um, uh, through, um, and anyway, he talked to it for an afternoon, and it totally creeped him out, because he had a sense of sentience. Now, when I talked to Kyle about this, because I immediately went to Kyle, he said, no, it's the program and the way it, it, it mimics and relates and understands, and understands. But this guy was completely creeped out. Now, inequality is also part of our society. Look at this. This is from Stats Canada 2022. The wealthiest households, top 20%, the top 20% held more than two-thirds, that's 67.1%, of all net worth in Canada while the least wealthy households, the bottom 40%, held 2.8%. Top 20, 67.1. Bottom 40, 2.8. This is not a recipe for social cohesion. This is not a recipe for a healthy, balanced society where everybody feels that they can live a good life and get ahead in our country. And that is very true. All you have to do is talk to anybody who's trying to buy a house, even now. I was at two open houses in Oshawa uh, recently with a family member, only to discover that they had pitched the price so low. Um, two houses that were listed at five, one sold for $650, one sold for $750. They priced it to start a bidding war, which I think is ridiculous. And when I went through the houses, both real estate agents said, oh, this is such a good investment opportunity. You could duplex this. It's such a good investment opportunity. So the first time in our history, our children, to get a place to live, have to bid against investors. This is insane. This is insane. And yet, it's normalized now. And that drives up the price of housing, thus taking more people out of the market, which then feeds back into that 67.1% owned by the top 20. All right? And then, of course, we have this delight. What is this? COVID. Now, we have, been we have had the largest disruption in 100 years and the first disruption that was completely global. There was not a corner of the earth that was not impacted on this. And a historian said to me, I read a historian who said, every time there's a global pandemic, it causes massive social dislocation. 
okay? Massive social dislocation. And that's exactly what we've experienced. And that dislocation wears us out. And it's why we're tired and edgy. And you see all those, you know, I've talked about this before. How many times you go in an office and you read, abusive behavior will not be tolerated. Right? People are going to DEFCON 4 in like 13 seconds or 5. So, and, we're, and we don't know, right? We don't have that sense of safety. Is there a new version coming? Is there something else coming? When will I feel safe? When can I feel safe? Can I, I need to keep my mask on. Is this forever? Or is this just like, right? So we've lived now in a sense of uncertainty. So here we go, piling on one after the other. And now, of course, we've got the climate crisis. That's a fire somewhere. Could have been Australia. Could have been Fort McMurray. Could have been British Columbia. Could have been Northern Alberta. Uh, could have been California. As I said, Australia, anywhere in the globe, we're getting enormous extremes. This is the Dureco that happened in May. Remember, I showed you the picture of the tree that came down near our cottage and almost took it out, this enormous, huge tree? Well, this Dureco, I'd never seen before. You know, it was hurricane-level winds. The changing climate is impacting us. And if people are skeptical, ask an insurance company who are raising their rates because of the impact of the climate crisis. And then there's Vladimir Zelensky, and we're at war. There's a war in Europe for the first time since 1945. And we're in it. We're sending tanks, equipment, personnel. We don't have troops on the ground, but we are engaged in this conflict with the Russians. And then, what went up recently? Been to the grocery store at all? Prices going up. Interest rates going up. Um, tremendous now economic pressure that we're starting to experience as our dollar isn't going as far. All right, so put all this together. And no wonder everybody is stressed. No wonder everybody is edgy. Everybody's tired. Everybody feels like hiding under the bed, waiting to see, is there going to be something else? And our internal voice is, when will things get back to normal? When will I feel that level of safety again? This is normal. This is normal. The world in which we live now, with all these differing layers, is now normal. And that is hard to adjust to. It's not easy for me, and I'm guessing it's not easy for you. So that's the, the global context. That's why you're feeling stressed. Now let's look at the United Church of Canada. These are the statistics from Stats Canada. In 2011, in the United Church, there were 2,007,610 people who self-identified in the census. In 2021, it dropped to 1,214,185, which is a 39.52% drop. We declined by more than a third in 11, 10 years, by more, four, almost 40%. And congratulations, we lead the pack. 
Um, the Anglicans were down 30, Baptists 31, Catholics 15, Lutherans, fifth, uh, they were, I think the Lutherans went down 31, Pentecostals went down 16, Presbyterians 36, and other Christian and Christian-related traditions, 74.5. But the no religions are at 60%, up from... What was it? Do, 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 do. Yeah, up. It's gone from 7.8 to 12.5 million. That's a pretty staggering number. Here's something that just came out of the General Council executive meeting that happened last month. That's the General Council executive runs the church in between general councils. There are, this is from the Office of Vocation. There are more retired people with pensions entering ministry, particularly applicants, applicants in the 65 to 70 age group, as more communities of faith go to part-time ministry. This demographic becomes the only one who can afford to work part-time. I found this one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen. Because when I went back to school at 27, I was one of the oldest members of my class. And now, Apparently, I'm young. <laughs> I'm so excited. But that just, like, think about that. Any other organization, if that was true, we'd all be in a, we should be in a panic. We should be in a panic, but not a, out of control panic, but a, oh my gosh, got to do things. A couple of weeks ago, we were at a meeting of all the United Churches in Oshawa. And somebody said to me after the meeting, you were in a very different place, talking about Kedron, than the other churches. And we took our futures team, and I was so proud, and you should be so proud. Kyle stood up and said, we have to go where the people actually live, where they are. Which means, not in here, but out there. And how do we do that? Online, in person, what does that look like? And Nancy gave a wonderful uh, stood up and said to those churches, many of whom are on the verge of closing, you will find community wherever you go that will welcome you. And that was one of the most important things to say to people who are losing their churches. And there's a lot in Oshawa. So now that's sort of the, the general, everybody feeling good today? <laughs> right? Up, don't you love coming to an upbeat worship service? So I now want to talk about Kedron, because Kedron is in the midst of one of the most difficult transitions that a congregation can face. And that transition is from rural to suburban. This is what's coming across the street. This is what used to be across the street. So why is this so challenging in a congregational context? It's challenging because as a member of this church just said to me this week, in a rural community, your relationships are reinforced through other, other places within the community. In other words, you see each other at the rink, you see each other at your kid's school, you see each other at 4-H, you see each other at community dinners, you see each other all the time. And it's the same group in a community who sort of travels together, and they're intermarried. And so they're all related to one another. 
right? So they're all related to one another. Their relationships are deep because they are reinforced by the way that they interact with community. And so that comes into the church. In a, in a smaller rural church, informal decision-making is done all the time. And that's what's normative. And because of those relationships that are in a rural community, those relationships feel normative in a church. So when you move into a suburban church, when you move into a suburban church, those relationships change dramatically because suburban church folks don't see each other in every other part of their lives. If you were to go to 25 years ago and plot where everybody who went to Kedron lived, it would be in a tight circle around this church. You do that today, we go from Ajax to Bowmanville. How are people from Ajax to Bowmanville or all around Oshawa, Whitby, wherever they're coming from, going to see each other in other parts of their lives? They're not. The church is the place where, they're contract, where, where they have that connection and contact. So you then have to evolve and change how you work as a church because that rural church that was known by, by generations it's not, it doesn't exist anymore because now it's turning into a suburban church. And so those relationships are changing. The way a church operates is changing because it has to. In other words, if it doesn't, then it becomes one of those churches that we saw a couple of weeks ago on that Monday night that is in crisis on the verge of closing. But that is really tough work. It's tough work because a church starts to feel different to people who came out of that rural context and background and now feel their church is changing. And it is, because it has to. But it's not easy to make those sorts of changes and adjustments, especially if you're the minister. <laughs> Kerry Newhoff is a uh, church leader whose stuff I, fo I follow. And he has some certain predictions, he says, that are about the future of the church. And he says, churches that love their model more than the mission will die. In other words, churches that take the way that the church used to be and hang on to it like grim death are done. And I saw that on that other Monday night. And the people who were there, uh, Kyle, Katie, Nancy, can, can talk about that. And so... That's it. The gathered church is here to stay. So we're not all just going online. We will be together in people, but we'll gather differently, including online. Consumer Christianity will die. And I like that. In other words, it's not about a Sunday morning um, entertainment experience. It's about selfless discipleship and a deeper faith and a deeper understanding of how the church can help heal the world. And Sundays will become more about what we give than what we get. And attendance will no longer drive engagement. Engagement will drive attendance. One of the questions that we have is, how do we engage, connect to the folks who are watching us online more deeply, including our own members, by the way, who used to come here, but right now do a variety of reasons. are watching online, giving online. We've got online members who give through PAR. So how do we deepen that connection? How do we deepen the connection together as a group of people? How do we do that? 
I want to say one thing um, about our online service. I heard a couple of weeks ago that, you know, well, it doesn't really count because people are only there for three seconds. That's not accurate. Right? You may have heard this before, but um, when Kyle did the research, it was, what, close to 50% were watching the whole service. The whole service. And others were fast-forwarding so they could get to the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> or Andrew's music, or the children's story. But you see that depth of connection. So it's not about three-second hits and out. It's, it's very, very different. And now we have to get our heads around that. And it's not easy. But we don't have a choice. You know, Jesus is tempted in the desert. You know what one of the great temptations in the church is? Nostalgia. Oh, nostalgia. If only we could go back to the flesh pots of Egypt. If only we could go back to the way it was. Why does it have to change? With all those other things that you're doing with the COVID and the inequality and the war and the inflation and the interest rates, why can't you just leave the church alone for the love of heaven? Because we can't. Because that's not what God calls us to. God doesn't call us to create a chapel of comfort. God calls us to create a mission that reaches out and is transformative and fills our hearts with a deeper and more profound faith. Something deeper than a cultural Christianity that was so much of the history of the United Church. And so I'm excited about the transformation. I don't care about those numbers of the 39% drop. I don't care. I care about what's happening here and how we can reverse it and do the work together as a community to create something that will be a beacon of how the church can be in the 21st century and not close, but grow and expand its ministry to heal this community, to help heal the world, and to help heal our frayed and battered souls. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.